Through the lens of loving local and seeing global, we obsessively search for people whose stories need to be told and how OKC played a supporting role. Hosted by Katherine Bexton and Emmy Coves, welcome to Action City. Emmy! Hi! Hi! <laughs> Happy summer! I think that was sort of my pit. Well, my my original pit turned into a bigger pit. Because, oh, no. So my original pit was that Jeff... So we went to TCU, like we've said before. TCU was playing in the Big 12 baseball tournament, and they kept winning. So Jeff kept wanting oh, to go... because they were playing downtown. Yeah, at the, at the, Bricktown, the Bricktown Ballpark. Mm-hmm, it's called Dodger Stadium. What do we call it now? I still call it oh. Bricktown Ballpark. Is that not right? I think it has a sponsored name and I can't remember what it was, but oh. maybe we'll tag I'm it. I'm so sorry for whoever the sponsor is. <laughs> sorry. Um, but yeah, so we, we, this is the last year that it'll be here. So they're moving it down to the Rangers ballpark. Oh, of course they are. Yes. So we wanted to make sure we went. This is always fun, especially, you know, we don't get to go to TCU baseball games and they're so fun, especially. So did you go in college to baseball yeah. games? Yeah. Oh yeah. I don't even know if Georgetown had a baseball team. Oh really? I think they might have. I think we TCU's had a baseball always- field. I mean, TCU has been really good at baseball for a long time Okay, and their games are really fun. And actually Jeff's dad somehow had tickets to this area of the stadium. It's like the only part, the only stadium, it was the only stadium section. This this sounds terrible where they would serve beer on all of campus. So we would go because we could drink. Yeah. Um, No wonder you were dating Jeff. Jeff, I see. I see now why she started dating you. She got (laughs) beer at the baseball stadium. Totally. (laughs) Wherever the beer is. That was a bonus. No, but so we, yeah, we've gone for years. It's so fun. So, but, so they were in Bricktown and they, they won a couple games and then they lost a game and I was like, oh darn, they lost. Like, we're not going to get to go. And Jeff was like, no, it's double elimination. I was like, oh, thank God. So now we get to go to another game. So I think we went Wednesday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Do you take the kids to all these games? So we took the kids to a bunch of them and then maybe three or two or three. And then by the final game, I was like, Jeff, we can't do this to them. They, they That's do not. A lot. And I do, Bricktown really, they have a good kid setup. There's the grass and then there's a big playground. So you, it's actually not terrible. So when they get kids. bored, you get up yeah, and walk so over there. Right? That's exactly what we did. We got out of the seats. We dip and dots. Oh, that was the worst mistake I ever made. What kind of mess did that make? It's not the mess. <laughs> it's the amount that little helmet, it looks small, but it's massive. And Huffman ate the whole thing. And then he oh, was a no. psycho. Mm-hmm. And my kids don't eat a ton of sugar. And when they so do, it really, it's like, oh my gosh. It really made an impact. Yeah. So, but then like happy, you know, TC won the big 12 championship. That's wonderful. I was annoyed. I had to go to three baseball games because the last one took for forever. But then I realized I have like years of terrible, like sporting events ahead. Right. Oh no. Yeah. With kids. Uh-huh. I mean, a- I'm going to have to go to three baseball games and they're not going to be college level. They're going to no. be little mm-hmm. league or slow pitch. I or- mean, this is assuming Huffman decides he wants to play baseball. He could decide he wants to play something else. I mean, it doesn't matter the sport, right? I, I know, mean, baseball does go on forever, but it is, I will say PCAA. Oh, they it's, have redone. it's so cute. It but- used to be a complete dump. Right. And the girls section is even a bigger dump, but they've kind of redone it a little bit. And it is sort of nice to be out there like on a May night when it's not freezing cold. And I'm sure watching your own child is more exciting, but still I was like, oh my gosh, like I have a a lifetime ahead of me of just. And your blood pressure. If you're like me, (sighs) 
your blood pressure raises. Well, you know, I'm low key competitive. Oh, I, I try mean, I go b- berserk. So yeah. I judge other people for going berserk, but then but it's then okay. I do the same yeah, thing. yeah, exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah. So that I think was my pit is just realizing like, holy cow. Now, are your parents like my parents? Like if, so this, was it this weekend? Last, on Friday night, I was, I called my parents six o'clock. I'm on my way to North OKC for Gracie's soccer game. It was like a rescheduled game. I call my parents call. What are you doing? I'm like, oh, my way to Gracie's soccer game. And I said, oh, do you guys want to come? And in the background, I hear my dad say, get in the car, Kathy. I mean, they, my dad especially does not miss a sporting event. If he knows about it, (laughs) whether he's invited or not, he shows up and he doesn't behave himself really, but they do not miss a sporting event. They'll go anywhere. Are your parents like that? Will they... Uh, I mean, my, what do you think? I think my parents made every effort to be at ev- all of our sporting events. I mean, I think they, but with their grandchildren, they're going to do the same thing. I just be prepared. Uh, yeah, I bet they will. Mm-hmm. What well, it is sort of sweet. They, I was going to say they that they always show up as Jim says, Catherine, they show up. Yeah. I think that that's not a terrible, well, but I didn't grow up. My grandparents didn't live here. So I'm like really jealous of my husband because he had hit both sets of grandparents in town with him. My kids are now going to have at least one set of grandparents in town with them. Like my grandparents lived everywhere else. So it, I never had that. So I'm excited for them to have that. No, it's really, it's really cute. Yeah. Um, but yeah. And then I guess my peak would have been, Oh, dinner club. Have I ever talked about dinner club on? Well, no, but you've told me about it, but I don't oh my know if we've gosh. ever so, talked about it on the podcast. Last month I had the stomach bug, so I didn't get to, I was supposed to host dinner club and last minute, thankfully my friend Nicole's stepped in and hosted. But this month I got to go and it was actually the night when it was downpouring rain. I think it was like Thursday last night, Thursday. Thursday night? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I like on our text, it was like all of us were like hell or high water. We were making we were it to there. dinner club, but I just love dinner club so much. So I, I almost think we need to rename it because club is like giving it like a sort of a negative yes. connotation. Although we are exclusive in the sense of, I don't think we plan on adding anybody else. <laughs> But basically, you might want to get rid of some people though one day. Uh, well, we'll see. But yeah, I think so. Right now we're good. But um, basically like when I moved back to Oklahoma City, I joined Junior League hoping to make a lot of friends and nothing against Junior League, but they put me in a small group with people that I grew up with. And I was like, like wait, this, this is, is the, the antithesis of what I wanted. I, I want to move here and not just hang out with the same people I've known my whole life. I want to make new friends, whatever. So... I basically hosted a dinner party at my house six years ago with, I think there were eight of us. Yeah, maybe eight, six or eight women that I sort of knew, but were not like only Nicole and Sarah, who were my really good friends, were my really good friends. So these were some people I knew from Cassidy, some people I knew, honestly, like a couple of them, you know, I didn't know really at all. And so from that, what happened was, is I hosted the first one and then there was kind of a big gap. And then somebody else hosted a second one and they brought a friend and basically we kind of rotated houses and whoever was the host brought a friend until we were, there were 13 of us. And then now couples or 13, 13, just it's all women. Oh, no boys. No boys. It's just women. So it's so fun because we were talking about this actually on last Thursday like none of us are each other's necessary. Like some, some people are best friends and our friend, really good friends outside of dinner club, but most of us just have sort of dinner club in common. And I love it because we talk to each other about like everything, but we don't feel the need to give each other a birthday gift or a baby gift or a this, or like, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's like kind of friends without the BS. 
of friendship, if that makes sense. Like they, whenever one of us has something going on, it's like, we of course support that person, but we don't feel the need to like go out of our way. Right. And that, but so you're getting sort of the important things from that. Exactly. Exactly. It's like, without, uh and we laugh about the silliest stuff. I mean, it is such a fun night. One of us cooks and people bring things and it's so chill and nobody's on their phone. Like the that only so nice. The only dinner club we ever put on social media is our friend Kathleen hosts our murder mystery dinner club, which is always October, which we missed this year, which makes me so sad. But um, so that's the only dinner club we ever post. And it's hysterical because of all of our friends like dress as men or women. You dress as your character. As your character, right. And we, people have gotten very into it and like borrow their husband's suits or like one of our friends put like eyeshadow to look like a five o'clock shadow like no. all over her face. She looked <laughs> just like a guy. Um, so anyway, so yeah. Have you ever been the person who was murdered or the person who committed the murder? No, but you know I've won like three of the years. Have you really? Yes. I did that for Jim's third birthday. Because I'm low-key competitive. <laughs> well, yeah. I, I don't even... At Jim's 30th birthday, I cleared out all the furniture for my entire house. Oh, basically. fun. It was like a speakeasy theme. Oh, okay. And I did all these like high-top tables, and the menu was what they were eating in the 20s, and it was like chicken Kiev. Oh, my gosh. So, Kathleen, our friend who hosted, did it well. She does it, she does it great like that. So, our last one was Clue, and she did a charcuterie board on top of a Clue board game, oh, and she, all the food was kind of themed. The, I and, love to do the Yes. Like, she so was... She did... She does it well like you do then well we had we had a few people misbehave at the at jim's birthday party there are lots of funny stories that have come out of it but the murderer the person who was who was murdered maybe or the person who committed the murder i can't remember which one kind of got completely bombed and took herself upstairs to jim's to like the man's room and fell asleep so it basically ruined the entire game oh no But, and I put all my furniture from my house into my garage and you know, I hate smoking more than anything. But you let people smoke. Oh no. I found my brother in my garage smoking with my furniture (laughs) and I went nuts. (laughs) I lost it on him. Like the whole night, I can't even, some of the things I can't even say on the air because it was so bad, but I mean, the whole night was a disaster and I have not tried the murder mystery dinner since then, but I kind of want to. It's more fun. I think with all women. Yeah. You know, I would not include yeah, that, that was a horrible idea for Jim's birthday. <laughs> Clearly, I didn't know him at the time. I should have like taken him to the metro or whatever. I should have taken him to Charleston's and brought him home. I mean, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> honestly, though, I mean, seriously, I shouldn't have gone to all that. Yeah, <laughs> he but, wasn't that excited about it. But oh, that's so funny. Well, yeah. So dinner club's just incredible. I love, I love the dinner club group is great. I love them all dearly, and so it was so nice because I missed the last one. And with COVID, we were we honestly took a break for six months, and we didn't know if dinner club would resume. And that's the crazy thing is like the fact that it's lasted almost six years is incredible because all of us have got married and had kids and some of us are single. Like we're all kind of in different stages of life. And yet, um, so everybody brings something different to the table. I I do. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like that. Well, and that's the thing too. I think at one point, um, a couple of the girls who are single were like, all you guys talk about is your kids. And we're like, okay, no more talking about kids at dinner club or, you know, we try to be cognizant of those people. And obviously we would much, I mean, honestly, much prefer not to talk about my children. One of the best dinner clubs was we put one of our friends bumbles up on like a big screen TV and we swiped for her and started talking to people. And I was, I think Huffman, I think I was do 
that like that was Thursday. And I think I was going in for my like on Sunday to be induced. <laughs> and I thought I was going to go into labor totally because I was too. laughing so hard. Oh yeah. And that's yeah. the thing. All of us have been pregnant and all, or, you know, like we've been like trying to hide our pregnancies or trying to pretend we're drinking or we've been super pregnant. I mean, you know, whatever. It's like, everybody's kind of seen each other through those things, but yeah. So that was my, well, I'm glad, you, my got peak. I'm glad you guys got back together and everybody was, I know. Thank God. Vaccinated I think we all were just like needing each other. And that's the thing. It's like, it's only once a month. And so we really make it By count. Way, the month comes pretty quickly. Yeah. All of a sudden you're like, oh my God, didn't we just do this? I, I mean, feel that's like, how yeah. I feel like when I'm doing things. I don't know. With you, when you have small children, time seems to go really slow sometimes. <laughs> the time is going quickly right now. <laughs> yeah. Well, what was your pit? What was your peak? Okay. Well, my, I, I never start with my pit, but I'm going to Yeah. Let's pit. hear it. I mean- Summer is my absolute favorite season. Like, Agreed. I was made for summer. Me too. I mean, yes. colors. Yes. I love to be in the sun. I yes. love swimming. Like all of those. Things. All the activities. Yes. All the summer activities. Food. My top season. The food, mm-hmm. everything. Fresh and bright, whatever. Yeah. Summer with a 13-year-old and a 15-year-old. Really <laughs> summer starting when they're like 12. So when I had maybe like 12 and 10. Yeah. You know, this, ever since then, like they're too old for camps. Oh, but they're too young to really get a proper job to where they're entertained all summer. They need to be driven around everywhere. Everything they do costs money. (laughs) None of it is productive. Okay. I mean, it is, it is basically a full-time job making sure their brains don't rot in the three months from when school is out and school starts again. I, I mean, and all I'm doing all day is thinking, what are they doing? What are they doing? What are they spending money on? Where are they going? Are they, you know, they call me all day. (laughs) <laughs> they shop on the internet. They want to go to Starbucks. They want to go to Chick-fil-A. It's basically just Can't they walk pit. to Starbucks from your oh, house? they could, Emmy. Uh-huh, yeah, oh. they could. So it just <laughs> stresses me out. So yeah, what's, yesterday was sort of the first sort of official day of like, okay, we're in full swing of summer. And you already are losing it? I forgot about Neely at Driver's Ed. <laughs> I had to take her to Driver's Ed in, in Edmond, which she complained about the entire way. And I is it Merkley's? It. It's Merkley's. Oh my God, Merkley's. Did you go to Merkley's? Yeah, and I threw up because they show you this movie called Red Asphalt about all the to scare you into driving all well. Blood all over. Uh huh. And it, they showed brains on it. No, they didn't. Uh-huh. And I literally no, threw up about that. And the guy was like, "Oh my God!" I was like, "You just showed me brains. No, what did you, what expect? you expect?" Yeah, on the carpet in the. In I the threw Marcus? up like I I was in like a rolly chair and I managed to throw up no. behind me. But yeah. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> well, so this was the, about Markley's being a family owned business. And we were just dying laughing. Cause like, I was like, maybe my grandmother will drive you. Maybe my sister-in-law will drive you. Maybe my brother <laughs> will drive you. Maybe my 18 year old will drive you. It's a family run business. And you know, I mean, she, Oh God, we laughed for forever. <laughs> but at one Oh four, the thing ends at one o'clock. I'm in a meeting that I went too long and She's the like, phone rings. I'm in a meeting with this person. I'm trying to sort of impress and, you know, make him think I'm not a complete disaster. <laughs> and the phone rings and I go, oh, <laughs> <laughs> can we bleep that out? And I answer the phone. This was also after I had to answer another telephone call from the plumber while I was in a meeting with this person. It's basically, let's just throw everything on mom and she does everything. 100% of the stuff. Yes. Dad continues on with his life. He wakes up. He might get on the Peloton. He goes to work and he comes home. 
And dinner's ready when he gets there. Well, not always. That's no. that's. I mean, it'll that's be ready eventually. But last not when night he gets I there. almost flew across the table at Jeff because oh. he, you know, he comes home. I had made dinner. Like literally, like he walked in. The table was set. No warm. He dinner. sat down. He sat down. That never has happened. At yes. Our house. And our kids were being sweet. And he looks at me. Goes, Have you fed the dogs? <gasps> oh, Emmy. I go. You need mm-hmm. to stop with that mm-hmm. right now. I was like, Do you see what is going on? Like yeah. we are leave it to beaver. And you mm-hmm. asked me if I, I fed, fed the dogs. dogs. Yeah, no. Yeah. Anyway, the question that I never like is what did you do today? <laughs> oh, mm-hmm. that doesn't go over well. So yes. Yeah. So yesterday it was, it was just yeah. forgetting kids, 8,000 telephone calls about things that I couldn't remember. It was a disaster. So last night I went home and I sat on the couch and I watched four episodes of Jane the Virgin. How come nobody ever told me about this show, by the way? I've never seen it. Um, it's hysterical. It's there's There have to be over 100 episodes because there's like 24 episodes in each season and there's been five seasons. Oh my God. Started in 2015. If Perfect. you guys have not watched it. Well, it's gotten a it's, lot of awards. and uh, It's like yeah. a telenovela. Oh, okay. there's a There's a narrator that narrates in like a telenovela voice. And on the show the the sort of dad on the show is a telenovela star. And so they tell the story like a telenovela. It's hysterical. The girls are watching it. So I said, that's it. I'm done. I'm not doing one more thing. I got Chinese food. It cost me an arm and a leg. I did not care. <laughs> and I sat on the couch and watched the telenovela Perfect. Jane the Virgin. So that, that was the pit. The peak was, I mean, I really, I got to celebrate my friend Karen's birthday on Thursday night in the middle of the torrential downpour. Fun. I was afraid it was going to be canceled because of course everything starts getting canceled. No, we, no, my friends and I were like, Mm-mm. Mm-mm. that's what I was like, Karen, I don't really care. We are, we are not canceling this. <laughs> so beforehand we had this sort of, uh, upper division awards banquet at Cassidy. It was not dinner in Calvert. They put it all together in the gym Oh, with one person narrating. Oh no. It was painful. Oh gosh. Um, but lots of wonderful students got awards. So, but then we got to go to dinner at the Jones and it was, oh, fun. It was so much fun. I mean, they, they did not have the peach burrata pizza that's coming out yet. That's, that's in the, the future days, but we had a great time at dinner and, yeah, and you know, the weekend was really fun. We had a dinner party at my house on Sunday night and I got to cook all day fun. Sunday. I made these chickpea burgers Ooh. out of this great cookbook called Love and Lemons. Oh, that's what you told me about that. Yes. They were, so, I thought they were delicious. My chickpeas were like a little crunchy. They could have been soaked a little longer. Mm. I had gotten these like fancy chickpeas from some, who knows, of whatever course. market somewhere. Yes, yes. And I'd never use them. I had for like three years fun. They was like, I'm using these fancy chickpeas. So the chickpea burgers were delicious. I went on Monday to have one for lunch and Jim had thrown away no. the chickpea burgers. It took me like three hours to make. No. So, <laughs> but you know what? It's summer and it is my favorite season. And if my kids will stop calling me and bugging me and ask me for money, it's going to be a really great summer. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I'm looking forward to it. I get to go to LA in like a week. So, oh my gosh, I'm jealous. I'm not going to complain. If anybody has any really good ideas about what to do with the 15 year old in LA, because Neely's going to come with me, just drop her on like, you know, whatever. Santa Monica, on yeah. The pier, on, not, not in the, I guess like we go to the pier in Santa Monica is always fun. It's like a amusement park. I feel like we always do that. I'm trying to think. I mean, shopping. shopping. She said shopping and cute restaurants. Yeah, exactly. All they want to do is take pictures of things. Oh, LA is yeah, perfect for life. that. It's perfect. You're right. <laughs> It's perfect. We're going to see Jennifer in LA. It'll be fun. So that'll be fun. But we're really excited. 
about our guest this week. She was definitely on our list from the very beginning. But Carrie Watkins, a third generation journalist, became the Oklahoma City National Memorial's first staff member as the communications director in March 1996. She was named executive director in 1999. Today, she oversees the operations of the Oklahoma City National Memorial and Museum, one of Oklahoma's most visited sites, and is race director for the Oklahoma City Memorial Marathon. Carrie guided 2020's signature educational outreach training program for the 25th anniversary, Better Conversations. Through online and in-person programs, visitors experience a safe space to have candid conversations about tough subjects, including racial reconciliation, collective memory, and uniting and moving a city forward. Locally, she has been recognized with several awards, including 2000 Women in Communications Byliner Award, 2005 Journal Record Woman of the Year, 2006 Stanley Draper Award for Community Excellence, 2011 University of Oklahoma Gaylord College of Journalism Distinguished Alumni Award, 2016 Lee Allen Smith Oklahoma Legacy Award, and the 2017 John F. Kennedy Community Service Award. Carrie serves on the board of directors for the OKC Convention and Visitors Bureau, MAPS, Three Park Subcommittee, Board of Visitors for the University of Oklahoma's Gaylord College of Journalism, and Mass Communications, and is an elder at Crossings Community Church. She and her husband, Hardy, have two children, Ford and Caroline. Welcome, Carrie, to Action City. Hi, this is Catherine, one of the hosts of Action City. I have two loves, fashion and food. So far, I've only figured out how to make one of them a career. Owning Greta Sloan, Oklahoma City's premier fashion destination, has been the highlight of my 20-plus years in the industry. It's a place where people and creativity come together. My team and I do the hard work of curating designers from all over the world and then narrowing down the best of their creations to make the shopping experience one of discovery and fun. We want our clients to eye their treasures from Greta Sloan as the favorite pieces in their closets and the ones that bring them the most joy to wear. We'll see you at the shop in Nichols Hills Plaza off 63rd and Western, or check us out on Instagram at Greta Sloan, G-R-E-T-T-A-S-L-O-A-N-E. Hi, Carrie. Hey, how are you? Good. How are you? Great. Glad to be here. We're so glad you're here. This is, this is as Richard calls it, a hot episode. We're recording and releasing in the same day. We had some technical difficulties earlier in the week, and we are now on board, and so you will... We will record this episode and you will get to hear it in the exact same day. Yes. Thank God. So minimal editing. Technology. Let's not screw this up, girls. <laughs> we'll try. We'll it's try. It's Friday. It is Friday. It which is, is Friday. Ah, uh, yes. The first week of summer is officially over. I know. Sort of. And you made it. Barely. Well, I should be like, li- like my in. kids get to go to Mother's Day out today. I should look at the two of you and be like, you made it. <laughs> we made it. We made it. Week. That's right. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Well, so, Carrie, where are you from? I grew up in Cleveland, Oklahoma, a small town on the banks of the Arkansas River just outside of Tulsa and uh, spent my first 18 years of life there and then went to OU for college and have lived in Oklahoma City ever since. I love that. So, Cleveland, Oklahoma in 19... 19- 82. 82? Okay. Yeah. What was that like? Well, I, I was, I was just spent a couple hours there this week and I just think, uh, it's just kind of a modern day small town, um, large, like a 4A school, but small downtown that's still thriving and doing well. And, uh, my parents are there, my brother and his wife are there and their family. And so for me, it's, it's like going home when I go back and, um, Things are different. People are different, but it's still a great place to call home and and to 
you know, you could ride your bikes across town and you could ride your bike to your dad's office. And it was just a pretty cool small town. Well, and speaking of your dad, you kind of got your journalism bug from him, correct? I did, yeah. And he was the local paper? Yeah, and he publisher of the local paper. Publisher. He had three or four What's the name town. of the Cle- local paper? Cleveland American. Oh, Cleveland, Cleveland American. American. Yeah. 100 or, years old. The Cleveland American the or just... Cle- the Cleveland the, American. Okay, yeah, yeah, I love yeah. that. So. so he was obviously the paper publisher and then you thought, I want to get in the family biz? Yeah, we all, we all grew up working at the paper and uh, I think he wanted us to do anything but journalism. But two or three of us have done it. My sister's an English teacher. My brother now runs the papers for my dad and my dad still is... I think he piddles in it some or he bothers people around a lot i don't know i'm not sure how, you, how, how everyone <laughs> would describe coming it coming and yeah. they run away i'm not sure how they would me. all describe it but um <laughs> he loves it and i think he just you know likes telling stories and he's just enjoyed he's almost 84 and so he's just kind of in the best part of his life how was it having a family business i mean did you guys go to work with him when you were little? we did, did yeah you well we went to work there every day after school and uh you did i i my family we raised cattle and that's uh we have a large ranch outside town and we would raise feed cattle and then sell them and then put that money back for college and so um we did that my mom would meet us and it's kind of a deal but i would say most of my friends in town their parents own businesses either the drugstore the dress shop or doctors i mean they all kind of had businesses on main street and so it really wasn't anything different than most of my friends that i grew up with well, I I feel like even growing up in Oklahoma City, that's what it was like. I mean, all my everyone worked for themselves. Right. I mean, at least in, with my friends and their parents, and mm-hmm. I think that's why I ended up working for myself because it seemed pretty normal. So. Yeah, I think the whole entrepreneurship bug is you know important, and you're seeing it more and more today, and it's different different ways. But um, it was very normal, and we absolutely went to work there, or either we went to work for our parents or somebody else's parents, but everybody knew each other. I love so that. you couldn't get into a lot of trouble. Could not get in much trouble. <laughs> if you did, it was, it was your parents knew about it before you could tell them. Oh, I bet. Did oh, you ever go? I know this is kind of like a small town question. Have you ever been cow tipping? Do you remember that? That was like the thing when I was growing yeah, up. Yeah, I don't really think that's cow I, tip. We did. Is go, that an actual? Does that actually happen? I don't know. Like we myth? didn't do it in Cleveland, but we did go on top of my dad's building once and throw biscuits at cars. <laughs> and I think, hard biscuits or like ones that are no, just raw been biscuits. Oh, just, raw, just out oh, of you know, uh, uh, uh-huh. <laughs> That didn't go over well. Uh, I got about halfway home to my parents' house. My dad was just. Parked his car, standing there waiting in the middle of the street, waiting for me to drive by. He already knew. Oh, yeah. The police had already, you know, given. And that was before cell phones. So, like, somebody was at home answering the phone for that call. Yeah. Or or, or listening to it on a police scanner or something. I'm not sure how he knew, but he knew. It wasn't a pretty evening at our house. (laughs) Okay. I have another small, one more small town question. Did you drag the strip at night or drag Maine? Drag Maine. Drag Maine. That's what my husband did in Duncan. They dragged Maine and And loop, loop through Sonic and come back around, do it again. Yeah. I have a great story. My my uh, grandfather bought us a. Well, I just turned sixteen, and his sister died. Who was a, a Catholic nun out in Cherokee, North Carolina, and she um, worked at, at, a, at a school in Cherokee, North Carolina, and she had a Nova, oh, like a '76 she- Nova, chocolate brown, and it had no radio because you know, or air conditioning because they don't. They're they. My first car didn't have AC. They, they, they have, didn't have, they have, she they have nothing. <laughs> they have nothing extra, and oh. so. Um, oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah, they, <laughs> okay. they have nothing extra. So I, I just couldn't afford AC. Now, <laughs> now I no, get no, what no. you're She just she was very frugal, and so she. Um, my granddad thought it'd be a great 16th birthday present to bring this car in, and so we we're like, great. And so, what would you like? And 
how about a radio? I'd love to have a radio in a car. You're a teenager. Mm-hmm. And so my granddad, who's quite the character, pulls up and had put a, remember this is in the 80s, a CB radio in the car with a PA system. Fine. Uh, my husband has that on his car. He loves it. And so we never got the radio in the car because he put a CB in there and it had a PA system. So you could drag main and talk on the PA system all at the same time. Oh it was very fun. God. I wonder if that's why Jim loves the PA system. Probably. Like he had this old truck that he actually gave to my nephew for his 16th birthday. So my nephew now drives like a 1972 Ford oh, pickup truck. Oh, he gave that truck yeah. away? Okay. And it's a PA system. I mean, he loves it. He pulls into ESD in Dallas well, my- and talking to all his friends on the PS. Yeah, exactly my dad's in trucking. So like the whole, you know, Oh, radiate. you have like the lingo. There's like oh, a whole yeah, language. It's like nine or nine. It's like, we would always laugh because he knew all about he that. He knew the lingo. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. That's and so probably fun. spoke it. Oh, totally. Totally. Yeah. yeah. Oh my <laughs> Anyway. Gosh. So were you, were you excited to go to Norman? Were you? Yeah. I mean, my family all went to OU, so it really was a no brainer. Um, most of my friends went to OSU cause it was, 30 minutes from Cleveland. And so there were two or three of us that went to OU. My brother was there. My sister had just been there. And so uh, my parents went to every game. So, I mean, it was just kind of, you could go other places, but that's where they expected you to go. Yeah. And um, yeah, I loved it. My four years in Norman was incredible. I mean, it's some of the best of my life. It's just meeting friends, lifelong friends and parties and fun, just, you know, going to school. I mean, it's a much different town now than it was when I went there, but it's it was still, I mean, you know, the university's much de- better, I would say, than when I went there. I mean, it, it, it's much but, more beautiful. Is what but I, I certainly noticed. didn't know that it wasn't when I was there. I mean, it's just, right. you know, things should be getting better and better as time passes. And I think OU's done that. And so um, I'm on the board of visitors at the Gaylord School. And then, so I still am there several times a year and still go for the game. So it's a fun place for me. I mean, I call it God's country because for us, it was like the best of everything growing up. Yeah. Yeah. And Harold's was there. You were there Harold's like in the there. heyday yeah, I mean, the of heyday Harold's. Yeah. <laughs> Did you I miss Harold's? I I miss Harold. I mean, yeah. that was that was you wanted to show up the first day of school in your head to toe Harold's outfit. Yeah. I never did. I never got that, but that's what that was the goal. Yeah. Well, so were you in a sorority? And Caymans was there too. Oh, Caymans, Caymans still was there, there then. Caymans is still wow. there. Wow. Yeah. Hardy, my Hardy, my husband worked for Caymans when he was in OU. I, so many people have, yeah. and it, they have been such Great an family. amazing staple. And yeah. They've run a really. Did you meet your husband at OU? I did. Yeah, I was on the front row of a class. He was on the back row with, with his ATO friends. He doesn't remember me, but he remembers my drop dead gorgeous best friend. And so, <laughs> I don't take it personally because I got him, but um, but it's a true story and. Uh, they were kind of wild and loud at the back of the class. And I was like the dork student at the front that, you know, was trying to capture all the knowledge. Mm-hmm. Oh, but that's how it worked. Is like it still it. that way? Are you still no, at the front of the class no. and he's the back? I'm now, I'm now the real breaker. He's the real follower. So it's kind oh, of reversed. You've switched roles. I know. Isn't that weird? That, I mean, I can He's see much that. kinder, gentler than I am. Well, he got, he got all of his partying. Out. Yeah, he did. Oh, well, that's <laughs> Sounds true. Right. That's true. Did you get married right after college? We didn't. No, I didn't. We didn't get married to our early 30s. So we uh, knew each other, but went separate ways. And we met again. We were both working at Channel 4. And then he moved to Seattle and worked for seven years. And then flying across country. His parents live here. And flying across country asked me to go for a drink one night while he was in town and kind of then we commuted for a little while and here we go 20 years later 20 years later and so was there ever a thought that you might move to seattle was that ever i think there was a little bit of discussion i was was in my job a couple years at the memorial bob johnson was the board chair i called him from the clubhouse of uh, at the sahali country club where the pga was about to play 
and I think he was panicked that I was heading like to thinking Seattle. about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, um, Hardy worked for a large real estate company there. And so he was back for a weekend and Bob and some other board members talked to him about coming and being like the project rep for the owner's rep for the memorial. Didn't report to me, reported to the board. And so, um, that's how he got back here. And I didn't go to see him. They had a so secret meeting they had behind a secret closed meeting doors. Behind me. and they like, kind of gave me a heads up. I'm like, I don't what know. Do we need I don't to think he's interested in working, coming back, but it worked. So Catherine so. and I had the pleasure of going to the memorial the last two weekends two ago. Two weekends ago. It and it was amazing. I mean, I hadn't been since high school. so And long. I hadn't been in almost 20 years. I mean, fifth, 17 years. So it's probably. changed because the museum. Yeah, it was, yeah. yeah. So it was redone when? Five years, six years ago. Okay. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was, inc- I mean, we both were kind of emotional just going through it. I mean, it's hard not to be. And we talked about just kind of where we were and what we remembered from the day. Right. And you were in, I was, San Francisco? I was in Washington, DC. Oh, Washington, DC. And I guess it was an hour later there. So I can remember I got out of class and my friends, I mean, obviously I was really the only person from Oklahoma in my friend group. They sort of, you know, came straight to me because they were the only person they knew. And they said, somebody blew up a federal building. And I can remember we went to my boyfriend's house and sat on his couch and watched on TV all day. And I think at first it was, it was almost so unbelievable that it was, they sort of laughed about it. But as obviously as the day went on, it became much more somber and I mean, and then because everyone knows you're the person from Oklahoma, I mean, every single person I knew reached out to me and said, you know, we heard what happened. We're so sorry. And of course, then you call your parents and you can't get through it. You know, I mean, it's and it was really before cell phones. I mean, I didn't have. Right. Well, there were cell phones, but there were big bricks. We didn't have them. I mean, everyone kid had one. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But were you in kindergarten? I was. And I it's like one of my first not memory. I mean, it, it honestly is one of my first memories where I remember like my parents being upset which is kind of strange to think about. But I remember I was at Cassidy. I was in, I like, I remember where I was. And my mom, like a, a bunch of moms kind of came in at the same time, I think, to come get us. Um, and I remember, you know, just my mom said, you know, something terrible has happened. And I just kind of remember being sort of told about it. But, yeah. you know, when you're that young, you don't really have. But then years to follow, I just remember, you know, every April we'd remember and then watching kind of the memorial be built and the museum and all of that. It's kind of it, I kind of grew up with it. Well, I think, you know, really it was a loss of innocence. I think we didn't. It wasn't that Oklahomans didn't think terrorism happened. We just did not think it would happen in our city. I mean, that's right. I, and I remember in college one time somebody said, Oh, well, like I was in Fort Worth and somebody was like, Well, why would somebody ever want to hurt Fort Worth? And I'm like, well, Why would anybody ever want to hurt Oklahoma City? Like, you know what? Right. Yeah, I agree with no you. Sense. It makes no sense. I think I remember being on a plane to DC in, in, in um, 1993 when the first World Trade Center was bombed. And there were a couple of Channel 4 people I knew on the plane flying to cover that. And I thought, what's well, weird? Why are we covering that story? And I look back on it. It was so, I mean, whatever reason they sent someone, but it, that was really the, the beginning of anything I really remember as terrorism. And that wasn't homegrown terrorism, it was international, but it was, it was still an attack on the government. And I think for us, we were trying to figure out, we're still trying to figure out how an American could attack his own government Mm -hmm. in that way. And that why would it be so massive of a, you know, what what would go into their mind that they could build a bomb that would be so destructive? Mm -hmm. And um, 
I'd say 26 years later, we still don't know that answer. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure we'll ever know. He was disgruntled. They were disgruntled at, you know, their time in the army and they had some issues that they didn't work out and they thought this was their way to make it. They didn't like what had happened in Waco. And and I think they just thought this is a way to make a point and they were martyrs in their own way. And so um, looking back on it, it's still, I would say unbelievable that an American could do that to his own country. And that, that remains, you look at January 6th insurrection, you look at other time, other things you're thinking, aren't there better ways to get our points across than, causing this kind of destruction or death most importantly absolutely i agree it had and unfortunately it has become since that day more normalized i mean i can remember on that day i can't remember how many hours it took to figure out it was a homegrown terrorist and that it was a bomb and then it was a homegrown terrorist but for the first several hours of course your immediate thought is it's an international terrorist right but once you realized it was an american i can that was such shock but now with mm-hmm. the amount of gun violence that's going on with, with I feel like there is much more homegrown terrorism now than then it's not yeah, as much of a ever. shock now. Right. And I know that you guys obviously are working against that every single day. And it's some of the work that you do at the museum um, and at the Memorial. But uh, I just, I just remember being completely shocked about that. I think teaching the senselessness of violence is something that we can't take for granted. A, because our kids all play video games that kill more people oh, in, you know, awful. one game than virtually than died downtown Oklahoma City. So teaching them the difference between virtual reality and reality and mm-hmm. how you, those two, I mean, I, I know it seems kind of crazy, but it really is because it becomes so common that they just go play a war game and I'm, I'm not bad mouthing video games my kid my son played them but I, I think we always just worked on making sure they understood the difference between mm-hmm. make-believe and real life and these are real people with real faces real families real jobs that just went to work that day they didn't go to war they went to work and never got to come home and i think for for us as we teach that story it's just important to put a face to the to the names it's not just 168 names it's faces it's families it's jobs it's personal artifacts it's something that you can relate to as you go to the museum absolutely you, you don't have to lose someone to an act of terrorism but you may see a crucifix in their box or some memento that reminds you of something you know that touches you or uh you know, there's a line in one of the videos that i love it's a, a woman who lost her husband with two teenage sons and she said we had to teach our i had to teach our boys that we were still a family even though their dad was gone and that that just hits me because I think, you know, you realize in your own life, if something happened to my husband, like how we would move forward. I mean, I'm around this every day and mm-hmm. you think you still can't take a day for granted. You know, we're not promised anything except what will try in front of us. And so I think we've all learned that. But you have to keep reminding yourself that you got to go make the best of today and, you know, conquer today and do the best, be the kindest you can be. And that's something that I, I feel like I'm reminding myself and my own family that every day that we. We, we're not promised next week. I mean, we can get real worked up about it, but that's not a guarantee till we get through today. And so um, those little life lessons are just good reminders. It's in such a crazy, chaotic world that we keep teaching these kids. And, you know, kids come to the museum. Some have never been through a revolving door, have never been on an elevator, much less teaching basic principles of life, of kindness and mm-hmm. honoring and service. I mean, those Oklahoma things that we take for granted in the Oklahoma, that are part of the Oklahoma standard, we're now raising a generation that didn't live through the bombing, mm-hmm. that didn't see the greatness of people who just took the boots off their feet, brought everything to the fence. They didn't see that. 
and what they're seeing so you know across the country isn't so great right now so how do we teach these kids who come in for stem camp this summer or come for you know today we're packed with college world series i mean teams from across the country how do we teach that to a generation of this is what worked this is human kindness overcame evil that day and how do we keep teaching that so that when we're all faced with hard times and we're all going to get them i mean at some point in our life how do you rise up out of that and 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 beat it by being someone was kind to you or they did something to help you and and then you know just good overcomes evil and we have to keep teaching that to our kids that's really really important i think so what ages do you think are good ages to take your kids to the museum well, I would say people bring their kids in strollers and all ages for, right. to really consume the story. You know, psychiatrists tell us fourth grade. I mean, I I, mm-hmm. I took Robin Gerwich, who's a renowned child psychologist that started at OU and now at Duke. She's one of, on our advisory panel, education advisory panel, and she, I asked her that question as I was trying to figure out my own kids, and they grew up with this, but yeah, but still they never went to the whole museum until they were in fourth or fifth grade because I wanted them to know it and understand the depths of it. Um, we had leadership Oklahoma, youth leadership Oklahoma this week in the museum. So these are 50 top kids from all over the state. And I asked the question about, do you know what the Oklahoma standard is? And nobody None did. And so <clears throat> for me, that's just more, you know, it's more encur- encouragement and discouragement. But like, we got to make sure we keep teaching that story because what, what those kids need to know is they've got to carry the torch. They've got to make sure they're they're great Oklahomans that are willing to help their neighbors and do things that, that we've always been known for, but not to let the rut of the world beat us so that we don't yeah. keep taking care of each other. I agree. How long did it take? I mean, obviously, the Oklahoma standard shone very brightly that day. But how long did it take you to put the Oklahoma standard into words and to really be able to reflect back on the impact that it made that day and in the and the weeks and months following? And when did you start calling it the Oklahoma standard? It's a great question. The the national media, the Tom Brokaws, the Peter Jennings, the Dan Rathers of the world, they called it the Oklahoma standard. I think the first immediately 48 hours, they called they they coined that phrase. They said there's something special here about the people. We've never seen, and they take care of people. And so they, it was outsiders who saw that in us. We wrote about it in the museum. I think media kind of latched onto it then in those first days. We wrote about it in the museum when we opened the museum. So five years later, we, we had a panel about people lining up at blood, blood banks and bringing down, you know, building basically a pharmacy in the Cox Center and all these places that people just donated goods to. Um, when we started doing oral histories, from rescue teams, these 11 rescue teams, USAR teams that came in from around the country, they all spoke about this Oklahoma standard. They're like, it's the weird, weirdest thing. We we travel all across the world, and we've never seen like a town turn a convention center into a hospitality center and take mm-hmm. care of us. And kids would bring notes and roses and candy and put it on our pillows. And this, this guy telling his story, bald-headed guy, said, I jokingly said on my way to the site one morning, I sure wish you had a barber. He said, we came back from our shift and there were barber chairs set up and barbers were ready to, you know, cut our hair. I mean, he, and this is a bald headed yeah, guy saying yeah. that. So Aww. it was pretty funny, but, but that's what they saw of Oklahoma. And that's where, what's what they still think of Oklahoma. When, you know, we did a, a, a project with, 
the 9-11 Museum and the New York Knicks and the 9-11, I mean, and the New York City Fire Department and police uh, in March, right before COVID shut the world down. And when we kind of had this mini reunion, they are still talking about 26 years later and their kids. We lost seven uh firefighters who'd come here to work and then they died on 9-11 and so we met their kids for the first time and they all talked about as little kids they remember their dads coming home talking about the impact Oklahoma made on them that they never spent a dollar of their own money everything was taken care of and so I think the Oklahoma standard is something that I really do think we just Kind of take it for granted because it's how we feel like we should treat each other. I know, I do. Yeah, I do too. And so a couple of years ago, I mean, I think it's about about five years ago now, Sam Presti is the general manager of the Thunder who makes all the Thunder players come through or he brings them through and we take them through. Uh, He He's like, we're going to lose this if we don't protect it because – being from Boston, he was like, if, if there's a snowstorm and you don't shovel your driveway, you're, there's a fine. And he said, I came home from a game and there's a snowstorm in Oklahoma and my neighborhood shoveled my driveway. He's like, that would never happen. That does not happen in most cities. And no. you guys talking to a bunch of homegrown Oklahoma City people, he's like, you guys just think this is normal, but it's, it's really a unique quality and a trait in Oklahoma that we need to preserve. And so we talked about being the guardian of them. We've kind of, we've kind of said, we're the guardian of the Oklahoma standard. Mm-hmm. It, it belongs to the people, but we at the museum want to be the guardian of it. And so it became a program, something that we teach probably over the last five years. Are you, I know that you guys do outreach work from the museum as well. Is it something that do you go into schools around the state and teach the Oklahoma standard or do they, people really need to come to the museum? No, to- we teach it both ways. I mean, there's, there's stuff on our website dedicated to the Oklahoma standard. There's, you know, we ask you to do an act of service, honor and kindness in the month of April or choose mm-hmm. a month and you can do it. But for us, April it works because attention's on it, but you can do it 12 months of the year. As you leave the museum, it's kind of a challenge we give to you um, just to, you know, just step up and serve whatever way you don't have to, you don't have to, be on the front page of the paper to do it just go deliver meals to the elderly or go do something at your church or synagogue i mean just go do something that helps others and i think schools have done a great job of promoting service hours and getting kids to go do it Uh, i think it's absolutely um like the marathon for us we we do tons of service hours for schools and kids helping us get ready well in ou and osu do big service days and uco incredible partner on that where they're teaching this generation to give back Mm -hmm. and i do think that's really really critical as we go forward and further and further away from april 19th 1995 that we keep talking about how that was one of the things that stood out to the world that we took care of each other I agree. Well, so when we went through the museum, um, I mean, obviously it's super immersive. I, I, t- there's so many takeaways, but I think one of the biggest takeaways I had was at the end when you, what was it? What is it called? The room responsibility, oh, the theater? responsibility, the responsibility theater. theater. I was so enthralled. I just stood there and like watched all the questions. I should have sat and like interacted, but I was, somebody else was interacting. So I was kind of just watching them do it, but I had no idea that, the memorial itself was the question of what it should be. I, that never crossed my mind because I just know it 
what it is. Right. I didn't know that there was a discussion between the survivors, families, and, you know, people who were in the building and obviously you all and all of these people. I had no idea that there was a discussion of what it should be, which makes complete sense. But I loved that responsibility room or theater because it was asking all these really hard questions and how would you find forgiveness? How would you treat that person? And I don't know. I just, I, it was something that I just have never seen before at another museum. It was so interactive and it really was thought provoking. How did you all kind of come up with the theater is, and how did that, or how's that kind of manifested itself sort of through the work you're doing? Well, for us, we really needed to figure out a way when we redid the museum five, six years ago, and we do something different to the museum. I mean, we add, like we added two, three exhibits during COVID, but one of our challenges is remaining relevant and making sure that for your kids, my kids, that they they don't know the story. How, how, How do we take it to them? How do we meet our audience where they're willing to consume it? And so, um, my mom and dad, they went through, they'd probably read the panels. They might watch a video. I'd for sure watch the videos and look at the artifacts. My kids, your kids are touching a screen and that's how they interact. And so I think uh, one of our challenges that we've got to stay on top of is not never to be arrogant enough to think that everyone has the latest iPhone or has the latest this or that. But But when they come to the museum, we give them the tools they can leave equipped to be a better person and to know more than they knew coming in. And so we wanted to make sure, I mean, while we have things that you can interact on your cell phone all the way through, not everybody has a, a cell phone that'll, you know, host that app or whatever it is. And so we wanted to give them a, a chance to sit down in front of touchscreens and understand jobs or listen to oral histories. But at the very last thing in the museum is a responsibility theater. And there are six questions that we ask. And those are modern day issues that that we took back to 1995 and said, here's what we learned then. And here's what we know today. And liberty versus security is a great one. You know, how much liberty, how many freedoms are you willing to give up to be in a secure country? Yeah. I mean, we've all, you, you go to the airport and it's different than it was in 1995 and different than it was in 2001 when 9-11 happened. We've given up a lot. Right. But, but we all are willing to do that to be safe, to be safe and get mm-hmm. on a plane and feel confident that we're safe. And, you know, you go back to April 19th and you asked this question about when did we know is domestic versus international terrorism? I mean, you know, the, the media had learned a lot of lessons that day. I, I did all those oral histories with the major news anchors and they talked about they felt horrible. They accused, you know, a Muslim guy who was flying to oh, London. Yeah. If you guys, mm-hmm. I mean, it's an incredible mm-hmm. story. And the people, you know, they held him over there until they questioned him and made sure he wasn't. They talked about two brown guys in a brown truck. I mean, like they said things that today you would not say we've learned so much right. as a society. And we really have, we've, we've gotten when, even when we don't see progress, we've made some, but that was the first assumption. And that, you know, these major news anchors said that was the first thing we never dreamed. It would be an American never dreamed. It'd be a white guy with a crew cut. Yeah. I mean, seriously. That was a decorated military veteran. Right. You gotta be kidding me. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's a good lesson for all of us. It's a lesson we teach, you know, as part of a identity, making sure we don't make assumptions because people make made an assumption that day that today, I think we're a little bit better. We've learned some, but still, but it would still be made in some, by some people, but lay out the facts let's get the facts and then make the assumptions don't just make the immediate assumptions my kids generation's much better at that than my generation so much better. and i just hope that they doesn't get soiled i mean i hope they just keep at it because i think they could be the generation to really turn 
My um, children call me out on it. If I make a mistake in that regard, they say, mom, yeah, what are you talking about? Right. And so, I mean, I, I feel like I am checked every day. I never... I never yeah. get away with yeah, They don't have a lot of mercy. No, they have no mercy. <laughs> well, tell me I, the the relationship between the museum, our museum, and the 9-11 museum. And obviously, we had learned a lot in Oklahoma City in the six, six, years, six yeah. years between the Oklahoma City bombing and 9-11. How did the day that 9-11 happened, how did you guys interact with New York City? How did you reach out to them? And since then, what kind of relationship do you guys have? Yeah, we have a great relationship. And, and then Alice Greenwald, who runs the museum, there's one of my good friends, I think. But we, we became friends over time and trusted over time. She came from the Holocaust Museum, and I had known a lot of people there. And so they were one of the first to stand up and help us. Um, because when we did ours, there really wasn't a roadmap. The Vietnam Memorial was the last memorial built, and the Holocaust Museum was the newest museum and most up-to-date museum. Where's the? Where are those two? Both in D.C. Okay. So the Vietnam Wall is, you know, on the oh, 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 right, on yeah. the mall, mm-hmm. and the Holocaust is just a you know a couple blocks away. And so, um, and so they both stepped up and just said, if there's anything we can do, the Holocaust Museum actually. Had just opened. I it opened when I was in college in yeah, DC, so maybe like ninety five or ninety six. I, I think I think it opened early in ninety five, mm-hmm. and then they had to they had to completely redo their security plan after Oklahoma City happened. But you know the Pennsylvania Avenue shut down after I mean after April nineteenth. More happened after nine eleven as well, but like things did begin to change. They were both great help. So I think we we relied on those people to tell us what they'd learned and. You just pay it forward. And so when 9-11 happened, of course, we were trying to figure out what to do to help them. We sent family members. We had a partnership with the American Red Cross, the local chapter. And um, we sent family members to Ground Zero to ride the barges with them to Ground Zero. And that was really helpful. I mean, Did I, you call them on the phone and say, would you go? Or did they call you and but say, a little bit what of can both, we do? A little bit of both. Um, that some people wanted to help. Some people we kind of needed to you know, do different ages and different male, female. And so we, I think we did that for eight or nine weeks. We sent new people every week. It was really hard. But um, I felt like when we opened the museum, which is February of 2001, our folks were in great shape. They had, you know, really come through it. They had, were working on healing themselves. And then 9-11 happened. It was like hitting six the rewind later. button for some people. It's oh, like, yeah, because it was to six months or seven mm-hmm. months after the museum right. would open. And so, but, for, but those people, but the family members and survivors really stepped up and just said, we can we can help, and this is what we can do. So, with the help of the Red Cross, um, and they paid the cost for that, and we would help supply the people. The, the families and survivors were remarkable in how they went to help, and people still talk about to this day how they met someone from Oklahoma City on the on their boat ride to Ground Zero and how they prepared them for the the news and or what they were to find. So that happened, and then. Um, we just had a pretty good relationship with the mayor's office and the governor's office in New York. And so when they began their memorial process, they began to send teams out here. We began to go there and um, helped them a lot. But, I mean, it, it's a different story. It was a different way of, you know, it's a different city. Uh, the museum's enormous. It's underground. It, I mean, there's a lot of differences, but it's a well-told story. Ours is in a timeline. There's this kind of different where you can go into different places and not necessarily a timeline. And so... There's some similarities. They have a survivor tree. We do too. There's a major water feature. We have that. And then you tell the stories of the individuals when you're in the museum. And then really the, the incredible role 
in both stories is the work of the rescue teams and what the role they played. And then these heroic survivors who served as first responders in the immediate seconds and minutes after the bombing and then how they had to begin to put their own lives back together. So you look at families who lost the most survivors who had to do a lot and figure out how to get their lives back together. And then these rescue teams who gave up and they lost enormous yeah. amount of rescue members. Which, and, and then they and had there to was overlap their, too, right? which is incredible. Yeah. What, so, a, what about one of the things, I mean, I noticed in our museum is the number of artifacts that you have. Yeah, It mm-hmm. is staggering. I mean, from, I mean, you're standing in the journal record building and you, you see the, the, you know, the destroyed building through the glass right, where you can see right. what it looked like and the amount of artifacts. Did they have a similar number of artifacts at 9-11? Was, were you able to sort of advise on that? Yeah, we did. And we actually did an exhibit uh, for that first anniversary. So I guess it would have been 2002. We opened in a shared experience exhibit. Yeah. Didn't you go through the 9-11? Jim was saying that y'all might have done that for when you guys went to the museum, that there was a 9-11. Yes. It, but that was so long ago. We well, they, made, they, had a, they had like a bit, little mm-hmm. visitor center before they built their museum. Maybe it, but I mean, we, in, no, Oklahoma in, City. Oklahoma City. Oh, okay. in Oklahoma City, that yeah. would have been about the time that yeah. you, it would have yeah. been. So we had a we had a special exhibit set up. It was called Shared Experience and kind of told the similarities of both stories. And so we went to, um, we, we were granted access to go to Fresh Kills is where the place was in New York where they took all the artifacts. So we, our, our, our curator saved police doors and some fire, kind of some great objects that are now on display in the 9-11 Museum. We gave them to them once we, our exhibit closed and which we kept up in a year. And then we just saved those thinking at some point we'll give yeah. those. Well, they needed them because they came about a little bit later and they didn't have the opportunity to go to Fresh Kills, which is kind of the dumping ground of what the, is it called? It's called Fresh Kills. It's just an area. Like K-I-L-L-S? In, yeah, it's just an area of New York. A, it's kind of like. A depressing name. Yeah, I know. But it's mm-hmm. kind of like where they take their trash and take their stuff. Mm-hmm. And oh. like they, I don't want to say junkyard, but like it's where they um, recycle. So like all of the debris and everything, they there. took it all there. And then mm-hmm. you all were there. Yeah, I didn't personally because I was pregnant. So my doctor wouldn't let me go. But our <laughs> curators went and. I mean, the pictures and their stories were remarkable. And they just kind of knew what they were looking for. And then. They got it, you know, built pallets for it and shipped it here. And then we cleaned, they cleaned it. They did the work, you know. Well, it is in our museum. I mean, you literally, like you said, it's a timeline museum. And it is incredible that the whole car is there and that, you know, the part of, oops, sorry, the Methodist church, I think is right. it. Like the whole top of it is there. Right. And I mean, the, the stuff that we have, it really tells the story. I mean, I'm. I'm not a reader, so I'm not the panel reader. Right. I like to watch, like, see all the things and watch the videos. I mean, it told the whole, you literally walked through. You and feel you like could, you're standing Yeah, like you guys down had, there. like, his t-shirt. Right. And, I mean, that was bone chilling. I mean, certain things, it was just like, I was like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe they have this. So um, you could, I mean, the, the whole point is if you watch a video, read the panel, touch an artifact, or do an interactive, yeah. you're, you're, you're getting the same story, just through a different medium. And mm-hmm. so... Hopefully we're meeting everybody where they are and I everybody will so. get the same story. It's just which one they choose or a mixture of how they choose to process it. Or now there's a walking walking tour through the app. So there's different ways to process it and experience it. And hopefully everybody gets the way that works for them and they understand the story. But artifacts for us were important to tell the story as were first person accounts. And um, yeah, the interviews are the wonderful. interviews are good. I mean, yeah. they're, they're really well done. And we used a company out of DC that got us started, and then then we brought a team on our staff that remains on our team today. But they they helped us get through the first five or seven years, and 
they're incredible. They're still, they still work with us and consult with us occasionally. And they were masterminds. I, I, one of the partners just passed away uh, last week and, and I wrote his wife and I said, you know, you guys helped shape our story. I mean, you, you guys really gave us, when they came in for their interview, they played videos. They had gone out and done oral histories with the Maryland and Virginia task force. Cause it was right in their, right in their backyard. And so brilliant of them. They brought a product to us that we were like, you gotta be kidding. We, we gotta have that. I mean, we gotta go talk to these people, but they kind of taught us how to do it. And we knew how to do it from our backgrounds, but they kind of taught us how to do it in a museum and, and they, in a way that's did it really thoughtful well. and respectful and that lets the story be heard without twisting words. I mean, it's a right. very, it's their words, obviously personal situation. Yeah. That's do you, I mean, I know that you sort of in a way fell into this job, right? You didn't know this was going to be your job for the next 26 years. Right. Do you, do you think that you were meant for this job? Do you think it was your calling or, or do you, you've just, enjoyed the process. Yeah, I do think it probably was my ministry or calling. I, I don't think it was ever anything I saw. Um, I liked museums before. I did not love them. I mean, I like, I, I would kind of go blow through them and, and my husband would like be an hour later behind me. He loves <laughs> museums. Uh, so I think that was interesting for me to kind of make that switch. But the process of bringing the people together and the collaboration, I loved. I loved working with the people. But now that we have this this product of telling a story, it's so critical, I think, so that it's not forgotten. Um, I do think it's space that was, you know, was created so that I mean, I can serve and help others, but also they help you too. I mean, family members, you have become lifelong friends. You've watched them grow and experience things in a way that they have enormous strength. They've taught me such great strength and grace and things that I would have never known without them. So um, I've learned as much from them. But I think it has been uh, part of our mission then to, to help others. The Tulsa, you know, Race Massacre opened this week, that their, their history center. And, I mean, they were here. I was flying home from Orlando, helping the, the Orlando nightclub, and I – I kind of became overcome with guilt. Like we've never really offered to help Tulsa and they've never really called. And is that a black white issue? Is that something we just have missed? And I talked to my executive committee about it the next week. And I'm like, you guys, I think we just got to reach out. And they're like, do it. And uh, we had some of the same donors, some of the same people. And so we just had a kind of a big charrette in our, at the museum. And that was three years ago this summer. And we've worked really closely with them. Everything has not been perfect for them and nor was it for us. I mean, when you're dealing with, a story that has been covered up for a hundred years. There's a lot of emotions. It is is almost shameful. I don't know that we, I didn't, and I'm, I can't believe I'm going to admit this. It's embarrassing. I'm embarrassed for myself, but I'm also embarrassed for my education that nobody taught me about Tulsa, but I was watching Watchmen, the show on HBO and they showed the, like it's a part of the show, which is totally fictional. I was like, Jeff, is this real? And he was like, yeah, you've never heard like they, he had heard of, Tulsa in Texas. And as an Oklahoman, I had no clue. Yeah. It's not, it's not mentioned widely in the books and I think that will change, but um, no one taught it. I mean, I I had two college degrees from Oklahoma Mm -hmm. schools, never heard it. I mean, I I literally was at this job sitting down with Bob Blackburn, the head of the state history and historical society talking about the memorial process. And he's like, 
what makes you think it's time to do it now when Tulsa still hasn't done it? I'm like, what are you talking about? Yeah, Tulsa? yeah. That's I mean, what, I didn't live oh there. I think gosh. I told you guys. I mean, I grew up 17 miles from there and never, never, never knew idea. it. So, spent some time there this week and took my my both my kids and just to see what they've overcome and how they've done it. And it's not been perfect. And you know, I know people are like, oh, it was 100 years ago. Well. <laughs> That's that's the point. It was so relevant today. And it is so relevant. Yeah. Like had I been be right, it's like you realize that by not teaching this history, we could be repeating it, right? Yeah. I mean, we, sh- we shouldn't. We should have already fixed these right. issues. Yes, mm-hmm. and 100%. and that's the part that you know. I think as you go through this, the new, new history center. Mm-hmm. I mean, they they put you you know at a drugstore at the counter in the last room and a whole holographic experience. It's really well done. It's a very well done museum. It's not artifact driven like us. It's not really story well, driven yeah, as much they, as theirs. It's very what, different. What artifacts could they right, have? Right. I mean, yeah. But but it's it's well done and I think once you know everything kind of calms down after this week, we can realize that it's it's worth taking your kids to. I think they'll be fully open in July. So now it's really only special guests that can go. It's right. not okay. Yeah, it, it, it opens. I think July Fourth weekend to to the public. Okay. They're, they're just finishing things right. up. And so, how like what would your advice be for the Tulsa community seeing what happened with us? So, like, you know, there was all this anger, and then it became hope. It became healing. So, what would you say? What needs to happen in that community in order to reach that point of healing and hope? I, mean, I think for some people. It's very individualized for everyone. Right. And so for the survivors, I mean, they're looking for reparations and that's something that is far beyond, it's, I mean, I don't even know that much about it. Um, I think you've got to let, I think the president, like him or not, it doesn't matter. He went there. He was the first president to ever go there. I think he brought them some of the first hope they'd ever seen. I think he he met with them one-on-one and said, let's look at this. And they no one else had ever in a hundred years come there and said, we're sorry yeah. that we did this. I mean, our, you know, your city, your state, your federal government, I mean, nobody stepped up to help you. Mm-hmm. So I think for him to admit that was a huge step this week in Oklahoma. And I don't think we fully appreciated what that said. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I, people have, people have challenged me on this. I've been kind of surprised at some of the calls I got because like channel nine did a special on, the whole deal and they did a story about us helping them and I got good and bad calls but why would you help them it's not a terrorist attack and you know it was a racial uh, issue and I'm like I don't care the holocaust helped us it was a racial genocide I'm like I don't, what would you call the holocaust I mean like yeah. d- d- they helped us the Vietnam mm. memorial helped us it, it, we shouldn't have to be I mean it should be people helping people right. and these are Oklahomans that needed help and frankly the story needs to be told. Yeah. And if we live by the Oklahoma standard, then you must help them. Right. There's, Yeah. It all goes back to the Oklahoma mm-hmm. standard. And I just think these are some great Oklahomans trying to do the story. Was it perfect? No. Neither neither was ours. People didn't like everything we did either. And emotional, when you lost that much or you've survived that much, you don't just walk away from it and your life's back to normal. It, yeah. just, it never is. So for these, you know, centurion, these survivors that are 100 years old and older, I mean, they've they've watched the story be ignored since they were babies. I mean, I mean, I just their entire life, they've not had a voice about what they mm-hmm. went through, and that's almost like too much for me to process. I, I yeah. think about how victims' rights are out there, and they should be, but we have just turned our backs for 
100 years. years. I mean, that's mm-hmm. not, not one year, not 10 years, 100 years. And I mean, we don't, I mean, I, I know they started really working on maybe telling the story in the 70s, I'm sure to know um, with, with very little help, but I mean, we don't have the living histories from every person right. that was the way, there, the way we have the living history at the memorial and or at the museum, museum memorial, but memorial museum. I want to say the and is really hard for me to not put in there, but the, I know that you guys really worked hard to get the museum of memorial as a living history and right. to erect it fairly quickly after the bombing. And that was rare, right? That had never been done. Never before. been done. Most people said we shouldn't do it till it was 50 years old because it wasn't really considered history till then. It's what the park service told us. Some historians told us and others would said, no, it's contemporary history and you should go capture it now while you still have these walking, talking artifacts. Which, and that's what we did. Thank God you did. Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. I've never appreciated that as much as I have this week thinking, mm-hmm. walking, you know, down the down Greenwood district and, and, um, in Tulsa and you know you watch Jesse Jackson the Al Sharpton all these people come in well again whether you like him or not they're just trying to help to get a voice yeah and so I think that's something I was trying to teach my own kids it was like I don't it doesn't matter if you like what they do or how they say it it's they're trying to have a voice they're trying to create a voice and and that's something we all should recognize is that even when you don't agree with someone yeah politically, politically it's not about politics socially whatever it is yeah. it's just about hearing people out right. and that started our better conversations that, that's one of the reasons we started better conversations a year ago is just meet, meeting people at the table to say let's tackle a tough subject and figure out where we are on this. And at the end, we may not agree, but at least I'll know where you're coming from and I can understand your perspective and you can understand mine. And at some point, we hope the worlds come together. So that kind of brings us to our first final question. So 10 years from now, where do you see the museum? Where do you see yourself? And where do you see Oklahoma City? So uh, I would say the museum, I hope it continues to be a national thought leader of whatever is relevant as far as the world of the senselessness of violence and terrorism and where we are. And hopefully we've helped a lot of other people along the way, but I hope we don't have to continue to help people. Like, you know, we should not be dealing with some of these issues we've had to deal with, but that's the world we're in. And we're, we're going to continue to do that as long as we have to. And I think we want to be an education leader of making sure people understand. We want to, we want to share yellow bus brigades with Tulsa and make sure that the Tulsa kids are in Oklahoma city and our kids are there. And we figure out some way to do that together and that the legislature will help us with that. And they have already some, I think that's going to be really important just for our Oklahoma kids. But, and then we will reach out. We we, we teach about 50,000 kids at school year. And many of those are from outside the state. Some come here, some only see it online. And so we have to continue to hone the technology and understand how we can reach those people and give them a great experience, even though it's not like being on that sacred ground. Uh, and and then I think for Oklahoma City, you know, we can't rest on our laurels. I mean, we, we're in a great space. If you've been downtown, you've been north or south, I mean, Oklahoma City looks good. I was driving northeast Oklahoma City last Friday night and looking at the new sidewalks. I mean, we're, we're doing things for our people. We've, done, we've invested in ourselves, and we got to keep doing that because – um, the people on the northeast side of Oklahoma City should have the same sidewalks as the people on north and south. And I mean, it, we, we should all be sharing the same things. And, um, and then we got to take care of what we built. And so we've built this great park. We've built these great sidewalks and senior centers and 
arenas and we've got to keep reinvesting that stuff isn't just one and done we've got to keep pouring our money and our time and our efforts in attending these things i mean we've built this great arena they've updated it the thunder's going to come back we've got to be there for them even if it was a rough season we've got to be there for that team and and we've got to keep supporting them and the energy and all these other teams that if we want to be a big league city we got to be big league and so i think that in a decade we will have proven that we can do it and um and continue to do it post i think coming out of covid is going to be a challenge for everyone of, of how we you know it's easier to sit at home and watch everything on online or on your television but it's a lot more fun to be with your neighbors and your friends at an event at a game at the park so i think that's where we at are at the museum at the museum mm-hmm. is, is the best and so um <laughs> for me personally in 10 years i hope i'm sitting on the beach in seaside florida where <laughs> that sounds really fabulous uh, I, I don't know if i will be depending on how much college my kids want to keep doing but um <laughs> phd yeah. at some point they'll, they'll pay for their own but i think um you know i think in a decade my time will will be up and it'll be someone's turn to, to carry the torch and um but i'm just going to work on today until i get through today and conquer today but it we're always looking to you know how we go down the road how we keep making things better i love that okay well the final question well i know it would be very hard for you to pick who you were going to have come visit you in oklahoma city because your network is it's really prolific. And I think that's one of the things obviously that allowed you to get everything done that you and your team have gotten done over the past 20, 26, 25, 25 25 years. years. But you pick your favorite person that's maybe never been to Oklahoma city or maybe hasn't been here in 20 or 30 years. You pick them up at the airport. You're going to have the best day. What do you take them to do? Their pandemic's over. It's your choice. Yeah. Well, I actually just got to do this last weekend because my two cousins were here from Ohio and uh, two young, great guys. And um, so they flew in. They, of course, drove straight to the memorial where we spent the afternoon. And uh, they were engaged in the story in a way. I, I, they, they're both retired uh, firefighters. And so they had an interesting perspective. Oh, yeah, cool. They're young, but they're young. Yeah. And, and they're young, they're young retired firefighters, but they love the story and they saw it from such a great perspective. It was incredible to hear their perspective at dinner. Um, you know, we had dinner at Signature Grill in Edmond, which is one of my favorite places. And the, the next night we, we ate at Bob's Chop House in the Omni. They stayed at the Omni. And then what did they think? I haven't even been down there yet. I have to go. It's really remarkable. And they were having a large powwow in Scissor Tail Park. So for, for Red people, Earth, was it? it I don't think it was Red. I don't know just, what it was, but it was unbelievable. Oh I, yeah, I saw pictures. We we were there earlier, and then we missed it. I'm so sad. So I was on Scissor Tail Park committee. I think I told you, girls, this Ford was in first grade. He's now just finished his freshman year in college. So it's been a ten year, ten or twelve year process, and it's so great to see that park packed. And it was unbelievable to me to watch the the native american dancing out in the in, in front of the stage in front of the love stage it was just great to kind of watch that whole action for my cousins from ohio i mean they walked the park that morning they saw that in the afternoon they just could not believe all this activity I mean, they could not believe it and yet it's still a quiet town and, and they, they they kind of appreciate both of that you know both of those things yeah the omni is incredible i mean the new convention center is out of this world it's amazing we're I mean, going there on monday 
I'm ready to oh, have. Oh no, we're going to the Cox. Oh, we're oh, going no, to we're sorry, going not to the convention center. Media. We're going to Prairie. Well, that's another right. great story though. But who yeah. thought in this old convention center that we could bring Hollywood, middle of Oklahoma City? I'm I mean, so excited. It's it's an incredible story. I mean, again, it's a great story that people were willing to come and and invest in Oklahoma City and bring talent here, and it's it's great. It's it's also great to see you know where I grew up in Cleveland and. 20 miles to the north of Bahasca. I mean, they're filming one of the great movies to be anticipated. Reed Drummond's revitalized downtown. I mean, there's great things going on all over Oklahoma. And I think for me, because I came from the rural area, I love taking people out to Amber to have a steak at Ken's or other places to to just make sure people realize it's not all the city and and whole we take that's another thing we take for granted that <clears throat> yeah, seems we very really normal. Do. Yeah, we can get out of the city very easily. Yeah, yeah. and I love just you know driving and seeing the sunset and, and, and appreciating really what we have. It's an incredible landscape and ecosystem Oklahoma has. It's not, it isn't the LA or, you know, it's not even Dallas, but it is special in its own way. And I think George Nye says this line and it, he reminded me of it the other days, you can do anything you want to do from right here. Yeah. And I thought, boy, that's a great, that's a great line to just keep reminding yourself of. And, you know, and we're seeing that more and more that, and technology's helped us, and a lot of things have helped us get there. But you can you can reach your dreams from right here. I mean, and if we don't have it, you can build it. Right. I mean, and Prayer Surf Media is an example of that, Perfect right? Example. If you have the idea, you can find the people to help you. Right. I was telling our last guest, Bob. I saw him Friday night, and I was like, "Well, the the movie that needs to be made is about the bombing." I was like, "You know, now we have this." you know, this incredible place we can do it locally. I was like, that's the movie that needs yeah. to be made next. Was- I, I think one of the other things is, you know, like our kids have grown up always having an NBA team. Right. right. Like my kids don't know Oklahoma City without the river and the, and the thunder. I mean, those are just two of the greatest things for them. Yeah. But for us, we, we saw and grew up here without it. And so we've seen the, or we had the Hornets right. and then they left and then yeah. we've seen the yeah. transition. And so I yeah. think uh, just taking care of what we have and making sure we protect mm-hmm. what we have and just keep growing it is really going to be our challenge. And I think, you know, we're all up for it. Yeah. I and think keep so growing too. it with the Oklahoma standard in mind. And I think we do take it for granted and it's the one sort of the one commonality through every single guest we've had on the podcast is they talk about Oklahoma and it's people and yeah. how different it is from the rest of the country and we have to keep that and i think you guys are telling the story that allows us to remember and to remind ourselves why it's so important yeah i agree well and we didn't touch on this but also the marathon is happening this oh, fall the marathon. Oh um, so if people i know we didn't talk like fully about the history of the marathon and it's also very important but so great story people want to run or watch or you know Volunteer. Volunteer. Yes, that too. What, um, where can they go? MemorialMarathon.com. And the marathon is, I mean, you can be a, you can get off the couch and start working on a 5K and run on that Saturday, October 2nd. I might do that. Or the kids run, put your kids in the kids race. You run, you do a mile each week. And then by October, you'll have 25 miles and you run the last 1.2 miles on marathon day on on that Saturday. And we're going to finish at Scissor Tail Park, which we're very excited about that. We're doing training runs. We begin this weekend and we're very excited about, we brought Bart Yasso, who's really kind of a Hall of Fame runner, former chief writing officer of Runner's World Magazine. He's here in town this weekend to, to kind of kick off training for us. And then we'll go back to April in 2022. And so we're going to run two marathons in about 
six, six months. months. Yeah. So you could do both of them. You'll so probably you'll have be, a big group. That... You won't be busy at all. <laughs> yeah. Well, we're we're gonna we're very excited about getting to run in person and bringing yeah. racing back in person is very exciting for us. And so to kick off the training run in person, we had hundreds of people sign up. It kind of double, kind of double what we expected. Oh, good. I, I'm hoping that's a signal of people are ready to get back out. The October race is great to run in the fall. But you've got to train in the heat of the summer, and it's hard. But runners are willing to do it. We didn't want to move it any further back in the fall because the Tulsa Marathon's in November. And as we were setting the date, we were working with Boston and some other major races, making sure we didn't all duplicate the same days. And so um, we're all ready to get back on the streets. We're excited. And we're in running gear today because we're really excited to get people back downtown running. And um, and then on Sunday, October 3rd, will be the, the half marathon, the full, and the relay. And so we felt like by dividing it up and kind of spreading people out, not knowing where we where we were going to be in October, we, right. that was the best way to do it. And we'll see. A lot of races do it that way. We may go back to doing it all one day in April. We're going to just – we'll make that decision after – That'll be a fun weekend. Yeah, you'll what. get to test it out. It's yeah. really nice to Expo test. will be in the new convention center. And wow. uh, so it's a health and fitness expo that OU sponsors, and it's incredible. And oh, I didn't know that. We're going to do I've gear check at the convention center, which is kind of – that's kind of a cool Houston and Dallas both do that because they're right there. And so we get to kind of adapt uh, or adopt one of their great, one of the things they do. And so we're, we're just continually excited to learn from other races and they come and learn from us. We all work and help each other's race. And it just is, it's a good partnership in the running world. And, and a lot of the same runners from here run all across the country and, and other people we will have runners from all 50 states and several countries. So we're very excited about what, what the fall and the spring hold. We're excited well, and for if them you, to come back. If you don't volunteer run or run, you can go out and watch. Yeah. I mean, well, I think yeah, the runners that love is everybody can go watch. Even if you don't love to run, the runners can, love to yeah. have support along the course mm-hmm. and people cheering them on or honking their horn or, you know, Giving them a cowbell, whatever it is, people love that. Yeah, yeah. We always watch. We always. Well, I used to live on Waverly, and so it came down. Oh, it our came street, down, yeah. which was wonderful. But now we live a block away from one of the routes, and so now we'll yeah. We'll same go. with us. It's it's so one fun. Of, we'd love to do it. Yeah. yeah. Well, so how, what info? Where can people get more information about the museum? Tickets. What are the times? Things like that. Uh, the memorialmuseum.com is our website, and so it has everything. And you can buy your tickets ahead of time. You can show up either one, but if you buy it ahead of time, you know when you're going in and you've got your ticket secured. Um, our numbers are still bouncing back, and we're still coming out of COVID. We we opened a year ago this week, and so uh, I look back on thinking how far we've come since yeah. last June when we were. We were we opened the doors, but we were a little nervous about it. Yeah. But today, as I walked out to come to you, there were lines outside the door. Oh, good. And that's right. all softball fans in Oklahoma City. Oh, good. You know, and that, don't under, ever underestimate the power of the College World Series and what it does for our city and the visitors it brings in. So I hated that OU lost. It meant another day <laughs> or two of some Virginians staying in mm-hmm. Oklahoma City. So uh, we're, we're hoping to see the JMU team and the teams come through or they'll go outside and put something on the fence and uh, it's kind of become a tradition for them. And we love kind of the lessons that it, the coaches use to teach. And so uh, it's been a long year for a lot of people and, you know, we're no different than anyone else, but it's good to be on the other end of this and yeah. knowing that we're mm-hmm. going to, we've got through it together and we're going to keep going through it. What about you? If somebody wanted to, you know, drop you a line, how do, how does that work? Uh, <laughs> Don't be giving out your personal <laughs> phone number, Kate. No. Yeah, not your address. <laughs> no, my email is kw at okcnm. Perfect. 
Org? Org. org. Com. I bet org. 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 It's got to be org. <laughs> you, know, it's, you know what? You're not the only one to not know. Bob was confused about the yeah. end of his email address, too. Yeah, it's .org. It's got to yeah. be .org. <laughs> KWKCNM.org. Yeah. Well, well, Carrie, well, thank, thank you, you so much. You, you will really never know how yeah. grateful we are. Oh, my gosh. So happy grateful. to do it. Thanks for what you guys are doing and telling our story. It's great. We love right. it. Yeah, we love it. Okay, have a great weekend. Thanks. Bye. Thank you so much for joining us today. We truly appreciate your listening to these stories. You can find us on Instagram at ActionCityOKC or for business inquiries, email us at hello at ActionCityOKC.com. Action City is produced by Blacken Studios. You can find the studio on Instagram and Facebook at Blacken Studios. Creative services provided by Ranger Creative. Music written and performed by Kansas City Bankroll. <laughs>